This podcast is presented to you by Passion Church and their campus in Alexander City, Alabama. For more information, visit www.mypassion.church. Um, there's a, I think, are there a few people here tonight that have not been in the study so far of the Tabernacle of David? Anybody here? Okay. Well, we have, everything will be on CDs, so please get the CDs when we get finished or whatever, you know, you can get the whole set. So you, anything that, you know, there's a lot that's been talked about already. We don't want you to miss anything. Uh, We want you to have a complete understanding of what the Tabernacle of David is all about. It's a, it's a, a topic that hasn't been taught on an awful lot. Um, I know before I came across a couple of books that I had never really gave any thought to the Tabernacle of David. I've always thought of the house of David and his lineage and what, you know, that lineage was uh, fulfilled in Christ. But this application of it, I had never had any understanding of. And as our foundational scripture in Amos 9 and 11 tells us, it is the beginning. It is what God, it's God's favorite house. It's what he established that in David's time that he wanted to rebuild. He said in Amos and also again in Acts that that was the house, the tabernacle, the tent of David that he wanted to build again. It was his favorite. We know that God in the Old Testament He had three places that he dwelt. He dwelt in the tabernacle of Moses. He dwelt in the tabernacle of David. And he dwelt in the temple of Solomon. And out of those three houses, his favorite of all, the one that he said he wanted to rebuild again, was the tabernacle of David. So it behooves us to know what was so special about the tabernacle of David that caused him to say, out of those three places, That's the one that I want to rebuild. That's the one that I want to be established forever and ever 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 and ever. So we've led up to this whole summer. We've led up to this point. And all of that was a journey. And it's a preparation that we talked about of the tabernacle, of the Ark of the Covenant. Everybody know what the Ark of the Covenant was? It was the piece of furniture in the original tabernacle of Moses where God's presence dwelt. So it represents God. The tabernacle, I mean the, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant represents God's presence. So this whole uh, uh, teaching we've led up to David and his desire and, and all that he was in bringing that Ark into the city of Jerusalem and setting it in his place, capital H, not David's place. Difference here. We're not talking about in his place, David's place. His place, capital H, which means God's place. The place God had set for himself. Very important. This wasn't just David's thing that he thought it would be a good thing to do, so let's go do it. David and God got together. And God told David, come and get me. Come and get me. And set me on Mount Zion in the midst of my people. Okay? 
Because that's where I want to be. That's where God wanted to be. Now we, I, I don't, y'all got to get to CDs because I can't spend all my time going backward to get up here. You just got to get to CD and figure out and understand all of that, why he left the tabernacle of Moses and he said he wasn't never going back. And he never went back. He never went back. Even though the tabernacle of Moses continued on in Mount Gibeon. Mount Gibeon was another city. Mount Zion was the mountain in Jerusalem. And the tabernacle of Moses stayed in Gibeon. And all of the stuff went on there. But God said, I ain't going back there. I'm done with that place to dwell. I'm going to Mount Zion. That's where I want to be. That's my favorite place. And he stayed there until the temple of Solomon was built on Mount Moriah. Now, um, Ron brought us into Jerusalem with singing and praise and worship. And he really gave us a, a very good challenge to not be on the wrong side of the window. If we're not careful, we will find ourselves on the wrong side of the window with the same spirit that Michael had. We don't want to be there because she was barren for the rest of her life. And I believe it was because she never had intimacy again with the king. Now that's what I think. I think that she lived in the palace, in the quarters of the women of the palace, but David never called for her again. Now, that's what I believe. Now, I doesn't say that specifically, so y'all can just form your own opinions. But she was barren, and I believe it was because she never had intimacy with the king again. And that's indicative of us. We need to be careful. We don't need to have that same spirit that she had and find ourselves outside of God, separated from him, never being productive and fruitful for God. For our king. Amen. So God brought us, uh, Dave, uh, Ron brought us into that. And um, I'm going to uh, start in uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 1. And um, I don't know that I'll read all of this because of time's sake. I, got, I always got a lot to say and a little bit of time to say it in. But... We're going to do the best we can with the Lord's help. So um, in cha uh, verse, uh, chapter 16 of 1 Chronicles and verse 1, So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent, which David had pitched for it, and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord, and he distributed to every one of Israel, both man and woman, to every one a loaf of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. And in the King James Version, it says, and a flagon of wine. He appointed Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord and to celebrate by calling to mind, thanking and praising the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief. Next to him was Zechariah, Jael, Shemariamoth, Jehel, Mattathiah, Eliab, Benaniah, Obed-Edom, Jael were to play the harps and lyres, and Asap was to sound the cymbals. I wish they had Fred and Sam in here somewhere. You know, Benaniah and Jehazel, the priests, were to blow the trumpets continually before the Ark of the Covenant of God. Then on that day, David first assembled, entrusted to Asap and his brethren, the singing of thanks to the Lord is their chief task. And then David breaks into song here. <laughs> he established something right from the get-go. He started it right out of the gate. 
with a fresh new song from God. And I probably won't, ha- I'm not, I'm going to read, but he said, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his doings among the people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Meditate on and talk of his wondrous works and devotely praise him. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Yearn for and seek his face and to be in his presence continually. Hallelujah. Earnestly remember the marvelous deeds which he has done. His miracles and his judgments he uttered as in Egypt. O you offspring of Abraham, of Israel, his servants, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are all in all the earth. I might as well go ahead and read it all. But be mindful of his covenant forever. The promise which he commanded and established to a thousand generations. Boy, I tell you what, David was singing and appraising God when he got there. And he still was. He wasn't finished yet. He offered all the offerings and gave them all out to the people, and he's still full of it. Hallelujah. He couldn't hardly stop. Thank thank you, hallelujah. He confirmed as a statue to Jacob and to Israel for everlasting covenant, saying to you I will give the land of Canaan, the measured portion in your possession and inheritance, when they were but few, even a very few, and only temporary residents and strangers in it. When they went from nation to nation and from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no man to do them wrong. Yes, he reproved kings for their sakes, saying, Touch not my anointed, and do not my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Show forth from day to day his salvation. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He also is to be reverently feared above all so-called gods. For all the gods of the people are lifeless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are found in his presence. Strength and joy are found in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, you families of peoples. Talking to us, isn't he? Ascribe to the Lord, you families of peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in beauty and holiness in a holy array. Tremble and reverently fear before him. All the earth's peoples. The world also shall be established so it cannot be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. And let men say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Hallelujah. Let the seas roar and all the things that fill it. The fields rejoice and all that is in them. Then shall the trees of the wood sing and shout for joy. Boy, the leaves are going to lift their, their leaves in praise, right? Hallelujah. Before the Lord, for he comes to judge and govern the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy and loving kindness endure forever. And say, save us, O God, our, uh, who is our salvation. Gather us together and deliver us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and give glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, forever and ever. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. And praise the Lord. Yes, they did. Hallelujah. I mean, David didn't waste no time. Woo! He got started right out of the gate. He said, boys, I'm going to set y'all up, and this is what I want y'all to do. All the time. Hallelujah. Woo! Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So David left Asap and his brethren before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister before the Ark continually as each day's work required. And Obed-Edom with his 68 kinsmen, also Obed-Edom, son of Jaduthun, 
and Hosea were to be gatekeepers. And David left Zadok the priest and his brethren, the priests, before the tabernacle of the Lord in the high place that was at Gibeon to offer burnt offerings to the Lord upon the altar of burnt offering continually morning and evening and to do all that is written in the law of the Lord which he commanded Israel. With them were Haman and Jaduthan and the rest who were chosen and expressly named to give thanks to the Lord for his mercy and loving kindness endure forever. With them were Haman and Jaduthan with trumpets and cymbals and those who should sound aloud and instruments for accompanying the songs of God. And the sons of Jaduthan were to be at the gate. Then all the people departed, each man to his house, and David returned home to bless his household. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now I'm going to try to break this down and get as much broke down as I can. But um, I, I want to start it here at the beginning. We know that um, on the way to Jerusalem, David offered sacrifices. We know that at least, and as I said before, it's questionable. Some people say he only offered them coming right out of the house of Obed-Edom. He only offered it right then. Some say that he went six steps and all the way up to Jerusalem offered every six steps. So, it, you know, it really doesn't matter. He just offered sacrifices, uh, burnt offerings and um, consecration offerings. He offered seven bulls and seven rams. You can read that in 1 Chronicles 15, 26. Now, when he gets up here to where the tent that he has pitched for the Ark of the Covenant to set in, he offered burnt offerings, uh, peace offerings and burnt offerings. And these were voluntary offerings. They were just voluntary out of the good, out of, out of his love and his adoration and his appreciation and his desire to worship God. He offered these sacrifices to him. And it is noteworthy that never again does it say that any more blood sacrifices were ever offered at the tabernacle of David. The only blood sacrifices were at Gibeon where, they were at, where the, a burnt, the brazen altar was. Then never again were any blood sacrifices, any animal sacrifices offered at the tabernacle of David. But it does say that the sacrifices of praise and worship out of a joyful heart was the sacrifices that were at God's favorite house. This is indicative. Remember, this is a type and a foreshadowing. Everything in the Old Testament types and foreshadows up to what is uh, fulfilled into the New Testament. And it's a type of Jesus Christ is our blood offering. And never again are any blood sacrifices ever acceptable before the Lord. Jesus' blood sacrifice once and for all. Hallelujah. God's favorite house. I believe God never did like in blood sacrifices in the first place. That wasn't what he was after. What he was after was sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving out of a joyful heart. Those are the acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Out of us, out of, right out of our, the, our bellies shall flow rivers of living water. Hallelujah. Those are the sacrifices that please God. Never again at the tabernacle of David were any blood sacrifices offered. Only at Mount Gibeon. That is very, very um, pointative. I wanted to make that plain to you and point that out. Now David, as I said, brought the ark in, placed it in its place, in God's place, that he and David and God got together and decided. And he set up, and, and I'm, I'm going to kind of, I don't want to get into a lot of the analytical stuff. You know, I really want to get into the spirit of what this, 
this is talking about. That's where I just, just can absolutely soar out of here. Um, but <clears throat> I need to point this out just a little bit. You can see there in um, down through the the starting in the first part in uh, chapter uh, chapter 16, verse 5, and then again over in uh, verse 37, talks about who he set up, the different ones he set. Um, and it doesn't say Abiathar in here, but Abiathar was the other priest, and he stayed in Jerusalem with um, uh, Asap and Asap's brethren to minister before the Lord in the tabernacle of David. And he set up and he sent Zadok and Jaduthan to the temple of Moses and all of their brethren. So he divided the priests, so that's priests here, to minister before the Lord in song and in praise at the tabernacle of David. And then he sent Zadok and the other company of priests, Jaduthan, to uh, Mount Gibeon to continue on with the blood sacrifices because they had to be offered continually because Jesus hadn't come yet. Okay? So, but, but it's indicative that those were at, at Gideon in the tabernacle of Moses with the brazen altar and the only sacrifices that, that God, that he wanted to be around is what I think, you know, just my opinion, was the sacrifices of praise and worship. Those are the things that are so pleasing to God, so pleasing to him. <clears throat> but uh, probably next week there's a, um, there's a page in uh, uh, this uh, Tabernacle of David book that has it broke down very well, um, the, the 24 courses that um, David set up under uh, Asap. And his brethren, you had the three main leaders or first degree of singers, and you had the second degree of singers. There were 288 singers in all, 306 when you add Chenina, and the three, and then the original first 14 that were under the, the main three. And they, they uh, he set that up 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks in the year, Every day there was praise and worship. Never quit, never stopped. And they, were, they had their courses that were set. That's when they showed up for duty, so to speak. It was their turn. It was their turn, their watch, and they showed up. And I'm not going to get into all of that. Um, you can read it, and like I said, I'll probably run off copies of that. Anybody wants to see that breakdown, um, they broke it down for you so you can see you like that analytical stuff. Um, but um, I want to get into a little bit of what, what, what David, the spiritual application of what David, profoundly the progressive truth that God showed David and out of David's heart as a worshiper that he and God connected with that. I mean, they connected with that. It's what, it's what God had been looking for. Been looking for. David learned something. A vital secret somewhere in the process of getting God's presence to Zion. He learned a vital secret. If you're going to keep his presence, the blue flame of God, you're going to have to tend the fire. You know, if you don't, if you make a fire and you don't put enough stuff on that fire, <laughs> throw a little bit more wood on the fire. The fire goes out, don't it? The fire don't stay burning. So David realized that you've got to tend that fire. And if we are going to tend the fire, then we've got to be willing to be the fuel. You and I are the fuel of the flame 
We fuel the flame of God. You and I fuel the flame of God. David realized that, and he set that into motion. He established that, it, and we can see that in the pattern in the pattern of the ark. And this is so cool. Woo! I hope I can get it out. Now Moses got the pattern to how to build the ark, right? Before he, he went up to, to the mountain, Mount Sinai, and God gave him the whole picture of what he wanted done, how he wanted done, and Moses came and, and set it into motion and got everything going and who's going to do this and who's going to do that and those that were skilled did, did what they were skilled at. In Exodus chapter 25, verses 18 through 20, it tells us how the ark was made. It said, And you shall make two cherubim of gold. Of hammered work you shall make them at the, at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall... Oh, I lost a little paper. Oh, well. Oh, no, there it is. Sorry. Sorry, people on the CD. <laughs> Lost one of my little notes. <laughs> you shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it one piece with the mercy seat, and the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. Now David got this picture, and he brought it and, and, and at, put it into actual application of what this picture looks like. Now, the first thing that jumps out to me is that the mercy seat and the cherubim were made of all one solid piece. They weren't separate pieces that were molded and welded together. They were, it was all one piece. The mercy seat, this is what set on top of the ark. Inside the ark, was the tablets of stone with the law written on them and the, the rod and the manna, okay? I don't think that all of that was in there at this particular time, but it, the law was in there for sure. Now, the mercy seat sat on top with at one end of the cherubim were spread, were, were uh, molded from one continual piece of gold. Now, this speaks volumes to us in that the mercy seat of God and the cherubim that is a, a type and a shadow. When Moses looked into the heavens, it says in Exodus, I mean, uh, Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 2, it says that he saw in the heavenlies the six-winged cher uh, cherubim that were worshiping around the throne of God. And they had six wings. Pastor has taught us, what does the number six mean? It means man. It means man. David saw this, and he said, I'm going to put man. Man around this throne. Man around this ark. Man around this ark to worship and praise him. Hallelujah. Me and you. Man. This was, this was he looked into heaven, and this was the heavens brought right down here to earth. Heaven brought right down here to earth. And you and I, we are the cherubim. Me and you, we're the cherubim. And as, as, this, and the, as the man was molding and making this, this piece that sat down on the ark that was the presence of God, that the blue flame set right down in here, he took a hammer. 
and he beat those wings into place. And he beat that mercy seat into place. And he beat those wings and the cherubim upward and outward. And he shaped it, hit it, shaped it, molded it, made it. Do you see that picture? Hallelujah. That's exactly what happens to us in our lives, in our everyday lives. As we go about living life, being a sacrifice unto him. Living, have you, has anybody ever had hammer blows of life hit you? <laughs> you know, gold, <clears throat> it's put under an extreme heated flame to get out all the dross and then separate. The last thing to be separated is the silver, which is a little bit below the best. So you get out all of that and you have that pure gold left through the refining fire, the fuel of the life that we live and the hammer blows of what's going on in our life as it hammers and hits us, you know, that will cause us to either shape our wings of worship into place. As we praise Him in all things, we can allow it to make us better or we can allow it to make us bitter. It's our choice. But God's design in that, just as His design in making this mercy seat with the cherubim, as he, the man beat out that mold and shaped it with the hammer blows, I mean, you know, the hammer blows of life hitting it, the hammer blows hitting it and shaping it is the same thing that goes on in your and my life as the hammer blows of life. Man, my kids ain't do it right. Whoom! Man, somebody did this to me at work. Wham! Boy, somebody cheated me out of this. Boom! Life ain't going the way I thought it should. Boom! Anybody know what I'm talking about? Things you did and things you didn't. Bing, bang, bong, chung, chong, you know. Wham! Every time you turn around, wham, 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 wham. Beating our wings. Either better or bitter. Molding us and shaping us either in the as six-wing seraphim Praising and worshiping God. Honoring Him. David saw this. David saw this and put this into place. Because let me tell you something. If you, these, these worshipers that he had set up around, they were just like me and you. You know, they didn't like, love. we got a wonderful life. Everything is just perfect. And nothing is ever wrong in our lives. And we just come to the tabernacle of David. And we're singing a song. Saying, oh, it's wonderful. Yay, yay, yay. Nothing going on in my life. It's just happy, happy, happy. No. They were just like me and you. They had things going on in their life too. Yeah. But it was their course. It was their job. It was their life. Yeah. It was their life. And it meant something to them. And they allowed the hammer blows of life. Every, you know, they couldn't have come to the ark of God unless their hearts were right. Unless they were in the right place. Unless they were praising God in all things. The blue flame of sat down in the middle of that ark. When, when David sung that song of praise, I think that blue flame went... Whoosh. As those worshipers took their place, David singing, blessing God out of, the, out of his heart of worship. And those singers took their place. Worshipers took their place around the ark of God. And his blue flame went... Whoosh. Sat down there right in the middle of it. And he said, oh, 
This is what I've been waiting for. I've been waiting for this since the days of Eden when I walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. I can come and I can be with my people. I'm not separated by no big thick veil. It's me and them, them and me. They're worshiping and praising me. There's no separation between me and them. The only separation, what kept God, you know, in, in the Old Testament, in, in the uh, uh, tabernacle of Moses, the priest was the only one that could go into the Holy Holies, right? He had to make so much smoke that he couldn't even see. He had to go in there. He had to know what he was doing, buddy, because he couldn't see. He couldn't see anything. And he had to perform his duties in there. And, and, if, and if he wasn't right, whoo, they had to pull him out. They pulled him out. That's how serious it was to go into that Holy of Holies. But here in the tabernacle of David, you had worshipers. They could see everything. They could see that blue flame of God. There was, and what kept them from dying, what kept everybody else from dying, was the praise and the worship out of hearts of adoration and love to the glory of God. It became the veil. Their praise and their worship became the veil that separated God from His wrath. What he'd, he'd been longing for this. He'd been desiring this from the beginning of time, a house, a place he could dwell and he could be with his people once again. No wonder it was his favorite house. No wonder he said, that's the house I'm going to build. No wonder he said, that's the one. And I'll never, ever be separated from him again. Hallelujah. That's, oh, that's the beauty. That's the miracle of this house. That's the miracle of the tabernacle of David. Praise the Lord. Do you understand how important your praise and worship is? Do you understand how important it is? Do you understand how God hit? We already talked about it. It's the only thing he's looking for. It's the only thing he's roaming this earth seeking for. It's somebody who will praise him, worship him in spirit and in truth. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. That's what he wants to establish in you and I to his glory. As the hammer blows of life beat our wings into place. And you know what it says? They, they, you know, when you, and this, this is how we do it. Every day of your life, when you live, you leave this place. You allow your stuff that's going on in your life to cause you to worship Him and honor Him and praise Him. And then when we come together and those, our wings of worship touch each other, woo! God can't stay away, I'm telling you. God cannot stay away. He's drawn to that. It's attractive to Him. We, we, think, we think the blood is a, what attracts... No. The blood gives us access. The blood allows us the opportunity to come in. The blood allows us, brings us a, a way to come into His presence. But what attracts Him, what pulls Him to us, is our praise and our worship of Him. Hallelujah. That's what, he's, that's what He comes for. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. And when we fuel that fire, He'll come and sit down and He won't leave. He'll come and sit down in that place. And, it, you know, it, it, it's in us. We know that we are, you know, God isn't concerned about what's made with man's hands. He's concerned about what He. He says we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We are where He chooses to dwell. But He also brings us together at one body in a location. Because he wants to move in his people together and corporately. Because he's got a purpose in that. To move among everybody else in these, uh, outside of these walls. 
to draw people to him. He said if he would be lifted up, he would draw all men to him. And it's mine and your responsibility. It's up to us to be like these praisers and worshipers here around that had their, their jobs. It's what they did. They lived their life singing and worshiping and praising and blow, playing their instruments and blowing their trumpets, playing on the stringed instruments and sounding the cymbals. Hallelujah. And out of their hearts came songs of glory to God. I tell you what, after this, you will never read the Psalms the same. After this, you'll never, ever read the Psalms the same. Because the majority of the songs came out of them singing around the throne of God. Hallelujah. It came right up out of their bellies. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. The worshipers worshipped around the clock. There was nothing to separate them from them and God. And it was the first time. I think that is so wonderful. And I never, I never realized that. That was the first time since, since the garden that he could come down and, and be with his people. He could come down and be with his people. And Jesus hadn't even come yet. What a miracle. I mean, do you understand the miracle of that day, what this house was, what this was? The miracle of that day. We take so for granted what the blood of Jesus has done for us. We take it so for granted. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We, <laughs> they didn't have the blood. They didn't have the blood of Jesus yet, but buddy, they knew how to praise and worship. They knew how to keep the blue flame of God going. They knew how to keep his presence there. How much more should we know? How much more should we know? We've got the blood of Jesus. We've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. How much more should our praise and glory, our worship of the living God, fuel the flame of his presence? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Now I want to get a um, picture of this. Let me give you a picture in case you're wondering. Picture of what I'm talking about. You know, there's a story in Acts about two men of God in a Philippian jail who found themselves doing the will of God living their lives for God, following Him with all of their heart, running hard after the purpose and the plan of God in their life, preaching everywhere they went, declaring word, healing people, doing, you know, doing good stuff, doing the right stuff. But a hammer blow of life. A hammer blow of life that they didn't, they didn't ask for it. They didn't do anything wrong, did they? They, did, they were doing everything right. And a hammer blow of life came and knocked them right down into the lowest dungeon of that jail with blood everywhere. Torn and tattered skin and beaten up. Put in stocks and bonds down in the deepest, lowest, dirtiest, nastiest, roach-infested, rat-infested, every kind of yucky crap you can think of. Right down in the yuck. But out of that came a praise. Praise. 
no, their, their, their hands were in stocks, weren't they? So it's not just about this. You understand? It's not just about this. It's about this. It's about this. It's about this because their hands were in stocks. No, I don't know. Their feet are in stocks. Their hands are in stocks. Hallelujah. I will sing a praise unto the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I will glorify you in all things. I will give you thanks, God, for you are worthy, worthy, worthy of my praise. Your mercy endures forever. Your loving kindness is forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't know what they sang, but out of their heart came a worship that attracted the living God that attracted him and the weightiness of his Shekinah glory came whoa, right into that jail. And not just their stocks and bonds, Cape Ovid, but everybody else's in the whole jail. The whole, every bar, every gate was opened up. Woo! Hallelujah! Do you hear that? From their praise and their worship out of their hammer blows of life that beat their, their wings of their praise and worship into shape, into the glory of the living God. God's Shekinah glory came down and sat right down in the midst of that Philippian jail. Hallelujah. And nobody could do a thing, could they? Because they didn't go nowhere. You, when, the, when that glory of God comes, you can't do nothing. They couldn't do nothing in the temple of Solomon when he came in. They sang his mercy and goodness and kindness endures forever. And God's glory came in and it said they couldn't even do what they're supposed to do. It was so heavy and thick with the glory of God that they couldn't even do what they were supposed to do. It happened in this Philippian jail. And out of that, a church was born. Out of that, a people was drawn to God. Out of that glorious, wonderful, miraculous things were done. That's the picture of what I'm talking about. That's the picture of what David saw when he arranged these worshipers 24 hours a day out of all of the stuff of their life to give thanks and praise and glory for this is the will of God concerning you. Not necessarily to be in stocks and bonds, but to praise, but to worship, but to adore the Father right out of the stuff that you're in, right out of the place you're in, because somebody's jail cell is going to be open because of it. Somebody's stocks and bonds are going to be open because you praised God in the middle of your stuff. You glorified God in the middle of what was going on in your life. You sang up a praise. You shouted up a praise. You danced up a praise. You worshiped up a praise. Hallelujah. And somebody's jailhouse was open. Somebody's stocks and bonds fell off of their life. Hallelujah. God came down and moved in that praise. Moved in that worship. We see that all the way through the Bible. All the way through the Bible. The key is praise and worship and adoration out of a heart, out of a heart that hungry after the presence of God, running hard after the presence of God and catching it, 
Hallelujah. Because I'm guarantee you, when you start praising and worshiping God out of that, you can't help but catch the glory of God. Because he wants to be caught. He wants to sit down on that mercy seat. Do you see that's how, why the mercy seat and the cherubim of us of one piece? Because right down in the middle of your stuff, in the middle of your praise, is that mercy seat that God comes down and sits and He does miraculous things. He delivers. He heals. He, he answers your prayers. He goes before you. He makes it right. He sets everything right. Right down on that mercy seat of your praise and your worship and adoration of the glory of God. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it and pray that you are blessed by God's word. For more information about Passion Church, visit www.mypassion.church.